episode 69, Desiree Garcia. Welcome to Gut Plus Science. Analytics about people. Insights for executives. Truth you can act on. A high-energy, fast-paced, results-oriented exchange featuring employee engagement evangelist and CEO, your host, Nikki Llewellyn. All right, we're back on Gut Plus Science, and I'm not sure if you've noticed, but I've been inserting the topic of relationship building into many of these episodes lately. Relationship building is a skill. It's crucial to grow and sustain engagement, and so I sought out the best I know to share on this topic. Desiree Garcia, I call her Des, founded Vita Aventura, a platform to build high-performing teams, and the core of her training and coaching is around relationship building. She authored a popular five-step guide to building high-performing teams. It's five different steps, really easy to break down. I suggest you pick it up and she's going to let us know how, but let's first pick her brain on this topic. All right, Des, so glad you're here. I know you have a big emphasis on employee engagement and the work you do every day, especially helping leaders and peers to build relationships. We want to understand how. I'm excited for this conversation because I believe relationships are one of the greatest reasons employees stay and one of the most powerful skills for leaders of any level. So take us into your world of building teams and share the impact of investing in relationship building, especially on employee engagement and the bottom line of a business. So thanks for having me on the podcast, Nikki. This is one of my favorite topics um, because without having team and collaboration and cohesion, we really can't get what we want to get done in the work that we do and in, in the, in the companies that we lead. As you asked that question, I, I want to go back to an, an experience that I had early on when I started my business. I worked with a team that actually brought a, a group together in another in another country. I was in, in South America and they brought leaders together from, from different parts of the world. They were all part of the same division of this organization and they really needed to build team collaboration and relationships. And we did this half day event, which was super fun. We, we did a ropes course and we actually had the opportunity to, to do some white water rafting. And the real power in, in team building is the reflection and debrief. And at the end of this event, people shared about the extraordinary experience that they had getting to know team members better, getting to know colleagues, some that they had worked with side by side, some that they had worked with for years, but were across, you know, across borders. And all of the things that they shared, I was used to hearing, like, I feel closer to this person. I feel like we can collaborate better because we had this experience. But one thing that really struck me about, about the debrief was there was a gentleman who said, you know, I, I never really knew how much this organization cared about us until they took the time to invest in us and to have this day. And he said, yeah. And he, and, and the word that struck me was, this organization really cares about me. And I know from that point forward, that organization got all sorts of discretionary effort from everyone that was there. And it was because they decided to take the time and time is a big, it's, it's a big part of what we can do to help build relationships and organizations. Um, and it's often overlooked, like, hey, I don't have time to do that stuff. 
Um, but it was, it was taking the time to allow these folks to build those relationships that made him feel like the organization cared. And that's how we, that's how we build engagement. It's how we, it's how we create the opportunity for the people that we work with and team members who work for us to really be connected to the work that they do and be connected to the people that they work with and to the mission of the organization. Oh, I love that story. And it's, it's great to hear, you know, that individual's feedback. I'd I'd love to hear from you. What's the typical feedback that you hear from the leaders that hire you to do these programs? And then you're checking in on like, you know, how's it going? What's different? What are the things that come back on leadership feedback after events like this? One, the team collaborates and works together better. When we take the time to um, know people on deeper and more resonant levels, it develops a great deal of, of understanding. And that understanding um, can really help us to trust our team members more. Um, it helps to, as I said, foster a level of, of collaboration. It helps team members to build the respect that they have for one another. And they get to see each other in a different light. And that's where it really has an impact on conflict. It can dissolve conflicts that, that team members have, have had maybe for a long time and misperceptions. And, you know, those are some, some of the, some of the biggest ones. I remember being involved in one of the reasons I got into team building is because I was a part of a team and we did a ropes course. We did uh, two days on a ropes course here in Indianapolis. And I was, I remember at the end of day two, I was standing on top of, it's called a pamper pole. And it's about, um, I think it's about 30 feet up in the air. And you basically climb a telephone pole, stand on the top. And then the facilitator says, okay, and of course you have a waist harness on and a chest harness. And the facilitator says, okay, jump out and grab that flag that's hanging on that rope. And don't worry, your team has you. And I remember looking down on the ground and I'm like, wait, I'm in business development. I'm like, that's the operations team. It's accounting. It's, you know, the warehouse people. I'm like, they hate me. (laughs) And and I was like, no way. Like, I'm going to plunge to my death. And of course, they caught me because I wouldn't be on this podcast if they didn't. But it made me realize that at the end of the day, we all have each other's backs. And we will do whatever it takes to um, achieve the goals that we want to achieve. And man, when that happens, it just changes your perspective around those that you work with and and what you're willing to do with and for them. Yeah. And what a powerful experience that you had that you're still sharing it, you know, a decade later or more, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So let's talk fundamentals for a minute. What are the, I guess, core components to helping coworkers bond? You know, there's there's a lot of research out there. Gallup found, I read this in an article, that close work relationships and friendships boost employee satisfaction and engagement by like over 50%. I believe it. Yeah. And when people have someone that they work with that's considered a, a really good friend, they're seven times more likely to engage fully in their work. So this sometimes called soft skill it's so important for us to acknowledge the importance of relationship building. Um, and I think it starts with having a, a culture that is fostered around com- camaraderie. 
So camaraderie is mutual trust and friendship among people who basically spend a lot of time together. So I think we can create that camaraderie by creating opportunities for for people to socialize outside of the things that they do in their work. Um, We can create it by having cross-functional teams, so teams that have a common goal and purpose. And we can do that by making sure that we set team goals and initiatives. All of that really helps to build that bond with coworkers and not, you know, and with, with the leaders that, that lead them as well as the peer leadership group. So it applies across the organization. Yeah. And I love that you talked about how soft skills are often overlooked and undervalued. I think that is just so true. I see it a lot. And I'm sure that you've been brought in to a new client because of the pain that they have that maybe they didn't know that it was lack of soft skill development. You saw that, but there was probably bottom line impact for their team and the business because they didn't have it. Can you give an example of um, a, a client that you came into to help because the soft skills just weren't there? And what that what was that team, you know, the pain that that team was in? I have a, a real-time client that I'm working with. The project started with, actually, it started as a an executive coaching engagement with a leader who really great at what he does, like fantastic in terms of impact and the results that he gets. However, there was, there was mistrust among uh, the people who, who work with him. And that was fostered by, I think some of it, a lot of it, unconscious behaviors on his part that were really creating a lack, a lack of trust in the organization and some, some misperceptions as well. So he was, was doing things that, that fostered the misperceptions that made him seem untrustworthy. And then he was kind of behind the eight ball because then anything he did was construed as, oh, I can't trust this guy. Right. So once, once there was this feeling of a lack of trust because he said things, kind of didn't, didn't really approach things with a, with emotional intelligence. Right. So using some soft skills, using some, behavioral changes and language that would help bring his team along and, and instead it made them divisive. So that created mistrust. Then the things that he did made the situation worse. So I came in, we, he did some work around how he delivers messages to the team and um, how he approach, approaches different behavioral styles. Then the issue became, hey, so because there was mistrust on the team because of my behaviors. There's just not trust among the team at all. So what, what we're doing with them is really breaking down five key behaviors. And, and you'll, you'll probably know this, this work. It's Lencioni's work, five behaviors of a cohesive team. But we started with trust. Let's get the team together. Let's talk about what trust is. How can we start to act in ways that are more trusting? What are things that we can say or in, in things that are that are um, below the line that we want to avoid saying that would cause mistrust and really start to work on, you said it earlier, it's really about development and skill and competency change begins with behavior change. And so just getting them as a team to agree on some behaviors that do work for them and getting them as a team to agree on behaviors that don't work for them and then agreeing to work towards those ends. 
Yeah, for sure. Thank you for that. You know, let's kind of shift down this path of um, equipping managers of any level on how to engage their team. So in the world today, and the reason this podcast really exists is because of all the talent challenges in the workplace. And most every company is hiring fast because we have to. And many managers are going into leadership positions, maybe for the first time or into one that they're not necessarily equipped for because they have, like, there's just such a gap that we've got to put, you know, elevate these people into leadership positions. And they're just, they're not necessarily equipped to be where they need to be at this point. So let's talk about advice to managers, helping them engage new employees to their team as fast as possible. What would be your advice to those leaders on how they do that? So uh, I I get to shamelessly steal this from clients that I've worked with. Last year, I worked with an organization and I was a part of their culture team and just came in and helped facilitate processes for them to to build up culture in the organization. And a key around that was getting new employees up to speed as quickly as possible. And what, what we did with their management team was we helped them you know, partner with HR and the engagement team. And when they brought new employees in, they made onboarding a journey rather than an event. So they focused on, hey, what are the important things that they need to do the first week, the first month, the first 90 days? That was the first thing that was important. They also created a kind of a fun, memorable welcome for new team members introduced them to the team, made sure they got time with the manager the first day. They didn't inundate them with paperwork, but they really helped them to start to understand the organization and know who their go-to people were for any questions that they had. And then, then they made sure that they had a few people, not just the manager, but a few people who um, they could have a consistent cadence for checking in and just kind of pulse checks for how they're doing. And then I'd say the last thing that they did was they made sure that that they have all the tools that they need to be as successful as they can be. Really good. You know, I'll uh, steal from another uh, company as well. So this company called Titus Talent, they're a national search firm. They do, you know, search and recruiting very uniquely. And something hit me the other day when they were talking about uh, making onboarding a journey in that in that vein, talking about how, you know, there's all kinds of personalities in this world. And we have to understand the the type of individual and what they need and what's going to make them feel fulfilled in onboarding. Like, so studying them with assessment tools, you know, and plugging that into like an onboarding journey, I think is just so powerful. I think, you know, we've just shifted from, it used to be, you know, the, the day you came in was when things got started and you had two days of orientation and here you go. Right. And so we've got to be getting ahead of that. Yeah. And I think, you know, assessing the individual, I just had never thought about that in advance to understand how they would want to onboard. And then the onboarding process is not, you know, tactically, uh, you know, check the box. It is an ongoing journey to consistently see them to engage. I, I think that's great. That's awesome. So ever since I've known you, I think of the word tribes. You are big on helping people build tribes. You've got a tribe around you and you just talk about how important it is to have that support system. And so I guess I want to go down this path of building a tribe as a leader. What's your best advice to them, you know, leaders of any level and building a tribe or a team that wants to follow and maybe start with defining like, what is a tribe to you? And then how do we do that? That's good. I, you know, when you say the word tribe, I, I think about like my tribe tribe, like my, my inner circle 
tribe. My, my, my work tribe, you know, I, it starts with intention, right? And understanding, you know, first, how, how can I make a difference in the lives of, of the people that I want to have most around me, you know, in my work? And who do I most want around me to help inspire me to the next level and the next level? So I kind of think of, of tribe as like this intentional group of people that you want to have around you. And if you think about it from a work context, we have tribes in the projects that we do. It's like, how do I put the best people on this team to complete this project or initiative? So, so I think it's one important step is being really intentional about that tribe. And then to, for people to want to follow you, I think you, you have to have, you got to know where you're headed, right? You have to have a clear vision. Um, you got to understand where you're headed and also why. When you know the why and the deepest, most compelling reason or purpose to that, it's going to, it's going to motivate and inspire you to do what needs to be done, which may not be the most easy thing to do. It may be really hard and really uncomfortable, but it's also going to compel others to want to get on board and take action and want to be a part of that charge or that initiative. Yeah, I so agree. I so agree. And you said the word deeper and it made me think, um, you know, tribes have deeper relationships, like really leaders are intentionally finding different ways to help them know each other and just activities that help us understand outside of the hat that I wear here at work. Like what are other things that I'm working on? And you start to see teams that, you know, there's three people on a, on this team that have said, I really want to commit to my health. And now they're out doing, you know, walking lunches, you know, and, and just getting more intentional in helping each other in different areas of their life, going deeper and just, you know, building relationships outside of their coworker hat. So I, I like that you said that deep. It made me made me think about just getting deeper in, in authentic relationship building and, and being a leader that gives tools to do that. So how do you suggest relationship building be part of leadership development programs? And what do companies typically miss here? So I think what gets missed is, and we talked about it earlier, is I think relationship building, relationship building can be put into a bucket called these are soft skills. And we have to stop calling them soft skills. They're essential skills. So you, you, you got to spend the time to, as you said, deepen those relationships. Because if you think about the amount of time that we spend at work is sometimes greater on a, on a day-to-day basis than the amount of time that we get to spend with the people closest to us. So if we if we look at those relationships like our our personal relationships and the amount of what we invest in those to cause them to be deeper, richer, more fulfilling, why would we think that that would be different in the work that we do? You know, and why would we think that our relationships at work could be effective if we are not taking the time to build those relationships? It, the equation just doesn't work, right? So. Um, how I would suggest that the relationship building be a part of leadership um, development is investing the time in it. Um, we know from Google's work on building the, the perfect team, so Project Aristotle, we know from that research that one of the most important things that we can do in terms of building a great team, thus relationships, is creating psychological safety. And psychological safety means that 
that you feel confident and trusting enough that if you mess up, you don't, there's no fear of retaliation, right? So it, it means that, that my leader, my company, my team has my back. And the way that we build that psychological safety, two ways. One is giving team members equal speaking time or equal sharing time when you're, when you're working together. And I'm like, wow, like I was fascinated that that was one of the ways that we helped to build psychological safety or trust. And we're talking about relationship building and let's face it, business is about relationships and relationships are about trust. The second thing, so, so giving people equal talking time. So that means taking the person who is usually quiet in a meeting and saying, Hey, I'd really like to hear your input. Or saying to them, because a lot of people like to, hey, I really want to think about it. I want, don't want to be put on the spot. It means saying to that team member, hey, here's some things that we're going to talk about in the meeting tomorrow. Just wanted to give you a heads up because I really value your opinion. And I'd love for you to, to speak up about that tomorrow. So that's, that's one way. The second way to create this psychological safety is ostentatious listening. And what that means is showing people that you are listening to them. So it means, you know, closing your laptop, moving your phone out of the the picture and actually um, listening to hear them and understand rather than just listening until they can stop talking and you can interject. So two very easy things, not, you know, they're simple things, not easy to do, but if we're intentional about it, then we can really help our team members feel more connected, psychologically safe, and it does help to foster development in an organization. Yeah, I have never heard this term ostentatious listening. And the theme on the show from so many leaders in you know way over 10 episodes that we've heard a common overlooked skill is teaching listening. So it's like I'm I'm going to dive into that a little bit. I think that that you know this ostentatious listening I I'm just wondering if the relationship building part of leadership development programs is you know, a component that specifically teaches listening so that people are feeling heard, that people are prepared to, you know, be able to intentionally share and that others are going to be hearing, you know, the value that they bring to the table intentionally. I, I love that. It's a very, that's a, that's a new term for the show and maybe a lot of our listeners. Thank you. So let's dive in a little uh, down this path of uh, multi-generation. So we are hearing about how many challenges leaders have with the multi-generations in, in the workforce. And I wonder, in your work, if you see just any of the experiences you've had, any particular types of team building initiatives that have helped in the different generations, or is this something that, you know, universally relationship building works no matter what generation? Like where have you seen or what experiences have you had in helping those different generations bond? There are some things that, that organizations can do to really facilitate the bonding between generations. So most organizations have, have their core values. If they don't, they should create them. I think that's a really important way to bring people together because regardless of your generation, <laughs> our values are pretty much the same. And so that can be a really powerful way for individuals and the team to understand that they have more in common than they don't and to start to really understand their 
perspectives towards those values. So I'll give you, I'll give you an example. A lot of times when I do values works, work in organizations and if individuals do their values, the, a value that comes up is family, right? And we, and in an organization, we might call family what, what we do in terms of the community as a comparison. Well, getting generations talking about what family is, the conversation is pretty much the same. And you can, and you can see the light bulbs go off and it's like, wow, I might be a, you know, 55 year old person in the workplace and my colleague might be, might be 23, but we, we, we both value family and we can both demonstrate family here at work. Cause, cause values and, and culture is all about how you're living, how you're, the behaviors that you're doing and how you're living, what you say matters to you. So that's one way that it can be that di- different generations can build relationships. And then I, it's again, I'm going to go back to creating opportunities for face to face interactions, you know, so those, the things that we can do socially that are outside what we normally do at work will help to, build relationships. And I think it's really important to have like social technology in the workplace to help build those relationships. You know, younger generations, they want social tools. There are a lot of team communication tools that you can use. Um, so I think those re- things really help um, in terms of, of making those bridges. Yeah. And that takes me down another question that I had around building mobile or remote workforces. What have been some of the, you know, that's just a huge shift in today's world, right? And um, lots of younger generations are craving that. They want that mobile remote workforce, but then, you know, others just have never worked that way. And how do we keep everyone connected? Like what best practices have you seen when people are scattered all throughout the U.S. and trying to build a team? Yeah, I bet you have a, a few that you could could add to this. So I actually working with a company that um, they do a their Monday their meeting uh, on Mondays. How to Monday huddle is done virtually, so they have everybody um, on camera. Those that are in the same office or in the same room, auto um, on video conferencing. Also, another great idea I heard where it's where it's possible, they do regular monthly lunches where they might just just put like two employees from one site together with two employees from another site. They drive somewhere in between the two locations and have lunch. They've also done virtual lunch lunches where people grab their um, lunches and have lunch together via like Zoom or Skype or Google Hangout. And then uh, something that that I really appreciate because I do um, so I do leadership. I facilitate a couple of um, programs for a company based in Toronto, and they do a really great job of sending out a message every month that gives an update on every aspect of the business. And it it has really helped me feel more connected to what they're doing, even though I'm I'm just someone that delivers training for them. But I know what's happening in the operation. I know what's happening in sales. They always include pictures of people who've had the opportunity to get together. And that just creates a nice connection. And I really um, appreciate it. I think something that you know that you're talking about the power of video in multiple ways there, and it makes a 10x difference if there's teams that are trying to communicate still over just like 
conference lines and phone and not having that video. I, I don't, I'm not necessarily a fan of the word mandatory, but I almost say video is mandatory in order to truly build relationships. I, I just think that it makes truly a 10 X difference from, you know, just conference calls. If you're trying to do one thing that will exponentially grow, you know, team building and you're not doing that right now and you're just still, you know, holding it over phone audio. The other is, you know, Slack or something similar. I found so much power in, you know, not only the entire company having a way to communicate regularly, especially when you're on, you know, more of an, uh, a computer-based worker and even if not mobile too, like on your, on your phone, but then having small subgroups. And I think leaders make a world of difference here where, you know, we make it part of our culture that we celebrate every single win. You know, when you're, let's say that you're a remote salesperson and you're making a hundred dials a day or, you know, trying to book three appointments a week or whatever, every time that there's, you know, a response and you get something booked, all of those, you know, critical KPIs, they're celebrated on there just you know, to keep that momentum going. So yeah, awesome. Awesome. I've got one more question for you. And if you have anything else to add, I'd love to hear it. But um, what are some of the types of uh, team building activities that you don't think necessarily prove much ROI, but you see companies investing in them and they think they're team building? Anything come to mind? So I do experience-based team building, which you know, Nikki, because you've, you've done a team building event with me. And that is really... It's team building that incorporates um, some context building in the beginning. The activity or event can be anything, although it does help to have something focused around the outcomes that you want. And then the power in that is having a debrief, right? How do I make the connection back into the workplace from the experience that I just had? And the reason that is important is because as adult learners, we don't learn by being told. We don't learn by doing or just doing. We learn by reflecting upon what we've done. So in my opinion, I think that anytime that we're doing any type of team building event, whether it's, you know, axe throwing or bowling or escape room, if we're not making a connection back to the workplace, I think we're leaving some ROI on the table. Now we're building, we are building relationships, but in terms of ROI, we're leaving that on the table. Yeah. So intentionality there has of that. Yeah. Right. 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 Has to have 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 to have a connection back. I lied. I have one more question. Um, When it comes to how often companies should be taking time out to build relationships, like how do you advise that? What's the cadence for how often do we do this? You, you mean, you must mean a team building event because I think you're building relationships day to day to day to day. I think there are huge opportunities to, to take the time that you have walking to a meeting to engage someone in, in, Hey, so what's like, what's the biggest thing that's happening in, in your world outside of work? That starts to build relationships. So I think we can do it on a daily basis. I think, um, if you're talking about like team events, I think you can do, you know, do some, some cool gathering of teams and socializing at least once a month. And, and again, it doesn't have to be the type of team building event that I do, but bring, bringing the team together with intention, you know, maybe it's a, a pitch in and maybe it's, um, Hey, we're going to have, um, we're going to have a round table discussion for anybody that wants to talk about what your favorite holiday tradition is, whatever, at least once a month. Every other week would be great too, just for the, some of those smaller opportunities. 
And I think a good challenge, I love that I was going down that team building path of like actual events to get together. But I love your point that you made about, you know, just the challenge to everyone, let alone if you're a leader or not, but mostly to leaders. What am I doing today to build relationships with my people? Like just every day, you know, and trying to insert that into every meeting and every conversation, whether it's remote or together. How am I not just checking a box of what we need to cover, but truly building a relationship? Des, thank you for sharing all of your insights and reiterating how important essential skills are. It's awesome. Um, we're going to take a quick break here from our sponsor and come right back to our lightning round where we'll get to learn just a little bit more about you. We'll be right back. Are you still using Pulse surveys? How about annual questionnaires? If your organization relies on either of these, it's time to discover Amplify. Amplify has created a new way to measure employee engagement. It's where CEOs who want to know what's really happening within a workforce go to get honest feedback and to understand what needs to change for people to love their work. Companies that have used Amplify have increased productivity by as much as 30% in just three months. Best of all, it's not just data that Amplify provides. Executives get hands-on coaching with engagement specialists, people who know exactly what to do with the data. To see their latest research on employee engagement, visit Amplify.com. All right, we're back with Desiree Garcia on what we call our lightning round, just to get to get to know our guests a little bit uh, better. And sometimes these these questions they seem so simple, but they're a little challenging because you got to pick one. Um, so here's my first question, Des: What's your favorite book or one you'd recommend to our listeners today? So that is such a hard question because I have a book problem. But I'm going to say my favorite current book for leaders is um, Brene Brown's Dare to Lead. Love that book. And I know you're a world traveler, so this has to be a tough, I think it'd have to be a tough question. Um, what is your favorite vacation spot? I love to travel, as you know. And my favorite vacation spot is Sayulita, Mexico. And that is where I first went to a surf camp for women and learned how to surf at the age of 40. And it's still, it's such a magical place. Yeah. Awesome. And then Des, how about a favorite hobby when you're not working? When I'm not working, I, I'm going to have to say three. One is I, I have two dogs, which I love and adore. So anything outdoors with them, walking them, um, but but adventure, right? So I'm a big runner and I also love to do yoga. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. And then Des, I'm sure that our listeners will want to connect with you after the show. What's the best way to reach you? Uh, best way is to go to my website, which is vidaaventura.net. It's V-I-D-A-A-V-E-N-T-U-R-A.net. And if you go there, you can download a free guide that I have, Five Ways to Build a High Performance Team, and um, fill that out and leave a little note. And if you want to connect with you, I will. Awesome. And I can give a shout out for that guide. I love it. And I've shared it with a number of uh, people that I work with and they've given great feedback. So I recommend that as well. Thanks, Steph. You are welcome. Thanks for having me on the show. All right, Des, thanks for your time and all of your insights. So much key takeaway information here. So y'all, here's my truth you can act on from today's conversation with Des. I hope you can take at least one of these things back and, and try something new. So number one, really, this is a mindset thing. Soft skills are essential skills. Let's eliminate the word soft, insert the word essential. Essential skills are what make engagement and learning stick or not. And having relationships with people we work with, it's crucial for the bottom line impact of things like like performance and retention. 
Uh, number two, make onboarding a journey, not an event. First up, humans have different needs and learning styles. A one size fits all won't work for onboarding and it's not a check the box thing. It's a growth process thing. And so if you know, you're currently doing this in a couple of days, it's probably a quarter or two that we need to start looking at it being a journey and many different steps to really bring people into the the culture and onboard them into the, the role that they're in. Number three, be intentional about building psychological safety on your teams. What a great reminder. It's a key driver of employee engagement. Set the stage for all to share their thoughts and to be heard by their teammates in meetings. And so Des talked about some creative ways to do that. Really a great challenge for us to think about. And number four, review how often often you pause work during work hours to provide a platform for relationship building and bonus points. If you're getting off site, make relationship building events reoccurring. Hey, thanks again, guys. We'll see you next week on gut plus science. We just left the world a little bit better. Now go do something with it.